Let me ask you a question. When you think about family, what's the first word? Let me, when you think about your family, <laughs> what's the first word that comes to your mind, right? Some of y'all like loud, <laughs> you know, hysterical. Some of y'all fun. Some of y'all like, I know we in church, I'm going to be honest. Dysfunctional, right? You talk about your family. What, what, maybe what's one unique characteristic? When you think about families in general, you think about a family, what's one unique characteristic? I know for me, like a lot of times you see families, especially in the South, uh, one of the things that we always point out is how much everybody looks alike in a family, right? You look just like your granddaddy. You all tall, bow-legged, just like your granddaddy. You, just, you know, we start talking about genetics, right? Some people, some families, it, it, you know them because of their sports allegiance, right? Everybody in their family is like, there's no way, you, if you're not a Clemson fan, it's not going to work. If you're not an Alabama fan, it's not going to work. And if since y'all up here in North Carolina, especially I know that this is a melting pot and there's a lot of people here that come from a lot of different places, you know, we make you choose in the ACC a men's basketball team, all right? And I'll be nice today so we can keep the peace and not tell you about the allegiance to the one that I like, all right? But the initials are UNC, all right? Um, <laughs> yeah, all, all my Duke brothers and sisters in the Lord, you know, we're going to continue to pray for them a whole lot. We're going we're gonna to continue to do that. But, but what truly makes a family a family? What, what actually ties that family together? Better yet, what does God say that actually ties a family together? So I just want to engage really quickly today on one of the key ties of the family of God. So I entitled today's message, Family Ties. Family Ties. Now here's the thing. Anybody know about family ties? Y'all know I'm old school. Ain't no school like the old school. Some of y'all saw that show coming up um, in, in the 80s. Shout out to Michael J. Fox. Y'all only know him about Back to the Future, but he actually started out on this show called Family Ties. As a matter of fact, let's just, we're going to do some quick trivia right quick. Let's see where you are. I'm going to show you a picture on the screen. And I want you to tell me what family or what show is represented from the family on the screen, all right? So let's start old school, because there ain't no school like the old school, all right? all right? Let's put the first one up. What we got? Which one is that? Oh, look at y'all. Y'all know y'all stuff. The Brady Bunch. One of the first blended families that we got a chance to see on television. All right, what's the next one? What's the name of this show? Family Matters, all right? It's not the Steve Urkel show. All right. I know Steve Urkel's up there, but it's, it's called Family Matters, okay? With Carl Winslow and, and all those people, all right? Here's another family that you guys have seen. Man, I can't believe they had been on TV for 25 years. That is crazy. And they never, they never age either. Never age. Never age. 25 years. Here's another family for you. The Proud Family. This is like the first... Uh, black family that Disney ever had um, on their station right here. Now, I got one more family for you. Anybody know what this family is? Ah, ah. Some of y'all are like, huh? See, listen, this family is not like the others. It's a little bit more diverse, very untraditional. Um, most of them are actually not blood relatives, uh, but there is definitely a key theme of family all throughout many of these movies that came out. 
they have one common denominator and it's actually distinguished by something that they do. They're all fast and they're all furious. All right. <laughs> they're all fast and they're all furious. And I actually think they might make 25 years worth of movies too um, when it's all said and done. But in the same way, um, one of the major distinguishing characteristics of the family of God is also grounded in something that we do. And that thing that we do is called the will of God, the will of God. Pick me up in Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to be in verse 46 through 50. Listen to this. Matthew 18, 46. While he, that's Jesus, was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Even for Jesus, it's important for us to understand his high view of the family of God. Who did Jesus point to when he was referring to his family? Verse 49 says he pointed to his disciples. He pointed to his disciples. Now, for many of you, this is a revelation because some of y'all are like, I didn't know Jesus had little brothers and little sisters. Yes, Mary and Joseph had other siblings. We'll learn a little bit more about them in, in a minute, but you have to understand that to be in the family of God, you first must be a disciple of God, okay? So to be in the family of God, you must first be a follower of God. That means to be a disciple. So let me just go ahead and ask this while before we go any further. You know, who do you follow? If a disciple is a person that follows Jesus, let me ask you right now today, who do you follow? For many of us, social media, right? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of, got plenty of followers. They, they, they're, they're seeking your attention. Some of y'all like, I don't, I don't know anything about that. I don't, I don't do that. Well, some of y'all is news outlets. Spend hours upon hours upon hours upon a day. That's who you follow. For some of you, it's authors. For some of you, it's bloggers. For some of you, it's, it's YouTubers. Some, some of us, it's musicians. And we listen hours and hours and hours. And, we've, and all these people, social media, news outlets, authors, musicians, all these people are, are vying for your attention. They're saying, follow me. Follow me. Listen to me. Let me indoctrinate you so that you can be one of my disciples. And I just want to encourage you today. We got to be aware that a lot of stuff that's been discipled in us, we're going to have to disciple that stuff out. Because if you're going to follow Jesus, he said, follow me. And I love that Jesus says, whoever. So he's not looking for a specific target group. I love this. A lot of these, a lot of these other, a lot of the social media outlets and authors, they, they have target groups that they target when they're trying to get them in. Jesus says, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister. So I just actually want to encourage you today. If you don't follow Jesus, I'm telling you right now, this is the greatest family that you'll ever be a part of. I just want to encourage you today to join the family. I encourage you today to be a disciple of Jesus. 
So disciples are who we are, but the will of God is what we do. Okay? Disciples are who we are, but the will of God is what we do. So you should have a burning question right now. You should have a burning question. Right? What is the will of God? Here's your answer. God's will is his plan for your life. It's his plan for your life. This Greek word is stelema, and it just simply means will, desire, purpose, wish. So this is the father, your creator, the person that breathed life into you, the person that when you walk out and you go out to that ocean and you look, and as far as you can see uh, is just water, and when you go to the mountains, as far as you see is mountains, and you know nobody else made that except him, he has a wish for you. He has a plan for you. He has a desire for you. He has a plan for you. And I don't know about you right now, but you should be excited that the Father has a plan for your life. Now, here's the thing. Romans 12, um, the first two verses, actually gives us a little bit more detail about what this will is. We're going to look for three description words here in Romans uh, Romans um, chapter 12, we're going to look at the first two verses. Listen to this. Do not be conformed to this world. Now, listen, this, you're going to see this theme all throughout today. Before you get to the will of God, you're going to notice that it's going to tell you that there's some things that you need to disciple out of yourself in order to get to the will of God. You're going to see this all throughout today, but listen to this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern... What the will, what is the will of God, the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's what it is. What is good and acceptable and perfect. So what, what, what's that? Good. Good means excellent. It means right. It means that God's plan for your life is better than your own plan for your life. And I need you to understand right now, we all have an enemy and his name is Satan. And the Bible says that he schemes. That means he has a plan. That means he's trying to take you out. He, he's, 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 he's walking around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may destroy. He sends false prophets all around us. Um, he sends demons to, to indoctrinate us. He is against you. He is against you. There, there, there's a plan even that he has, but I need you to understand that God has a plan that's better. God has a plan that's good. Then it says it's acceptable. What does that mean? That means it's pleasing to God. That means that when you do God's will, it makes your daddy proud. It makes him excited. Then it says this, and it's perfect. Now, I'm gonna, we'll, we'll break that word down a little bit more, but what you need to understand when it says perfect, it means that it's complete. It means it's able to bring about maturity. But a big takeaway from this passage is that God's will has to be discerned. Therefore, we must be aware, church, that there's some potential misconceptions out there about the plan of God. So let me give you three common misconceptions about God's will. Let me go through those really quickly. First one is this. It's whatever we want it to be. I mean, listen, there's a lot of people that say, you know, what, what you mean? I, I'm doing the will of God. I'm doing, I'm doing the will of God. That, Hey, I mean, what do you mean? What is the will of God? You know, I'm doing the will of God. What does the Bible say? What does it say even right here? It, it lets us know that God's will actually is only clear to people who have been, one, transformed by Jesus. There are people that are not afraid to be tested. 
and they work daily not to conform to the ways of this world. Now, if you're going to do any of those things, it's going to take the Spirit's help. Amen? See, we, we don't have to make up the will of God. We need the Spirit of God to help us discern, to help us test and examine whether this plan that we're in is the plan that God has. Listen, by default, y'all, by default, by default, it's always our will be done first instead of his will be done. Always. Even when I was listening to some of the testimonies earlier, you know, that, that, that's what people were saying. That, that's, what our young, our, this, that's what our young lady was saying right here in, in this tank when she got baptized. She was like, I was going about things my way. And until I found Jesus, he showed me a better way and he showed me his plan. Here's the second thing, second misconception. It only works for perfect people. I hear a lot of people that they won't, they won't, they, they say, oh, I ain't trying to do that whole Christian thing. I ain't trying to do the, the will of God. It's, it's you know, I'm, I'm, I'm too broken. I'm too messed up. I'm, I'm imperfect. I, all I'm going to do is embarrass everybody. I'm going to be a hypocrite. I'm not going to do this whole Christian thing. I can't do that. It's only for perfect people. I mean, it says it right there that his will is perfect, right? Listen, God's will is perfect, yes, but the people are not yet. We're being perfected when we do his will. So here's, here's the problem. When we look at the word perfect, we actually look at it the wrong way. A lot of times we look at the word perfect, we think about like, if there's a test, there's 10 questions, you get all of them right, you made a perfect score, right? You, know, you, don't, miss, you, don't, you don't make any mistakes, you don't miss the mark at all. But actually the whole goal of a test is actually really not to get all the answers necessarily right, is that you learn the information, right? Amen, teachers? You need to learn all the information because what they're trying to do is help you perfect your craft and your whatever you're trying to learn. So actually, as you go along, how many of y'all have ever had to take tests where you couldn't even go to the next test until you made a 100 on the test, right? Why were they doing that? Because it's not just about taking a test. The test is supposed to be doing something in you. It's bringing you to maturity. That's the reason why if you're here and you're saying, hey, man, I don't have any patience. I, you, know, you know, when it comes to the will of God, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to have enough patience with people. I'm not going to have that. Well, listen, through testing, through testing, God can make you become perfected in this thing that he's trying to grow you in. The Bible says let patience have its perfect work. That's something that has to be worked out. Some of you might say, but Pastor Chris, I just don't have faith. I don't know if I can really believe God for this. Listen, if you want more faith, God will actually bring things in your direction that will cause you to be tested to have more faith. I was telling somebody the other day, and I was like, be careful. You know when people say, be careful what you pray for? Lord, I need more faith. Lord, I need more faith. Then God puts you in a situation where only if you believe in him only, you're going to have faith. Ah, like, Lord. But that means you're stepping into God's will. God's will. It's not about your strength. It's not about your power. It's not about your finances. It's not about any of those. It's not about your, your, your academia. Listen, it's about what is God perfecting? What is he bringing to pass? Here's the third one. Here's a big one. Third misconception. It's absent of suffering. It's absent of suffering. Let me remind you of this. Jesus was sinless. He only spoke truth to power. He healed people. He loved people. He forgave people. And he still suffered immensely 
from the very people that he created. No servant is greater than their master. Suffering is something that we all must face while we're here on this broken, jacked up planet. Whether it is something that is ugly, like a storm that you didn't cause, or whether it's a result of sin in your life and in other people's life. We all deal with suffering, but there is a misconception. Just because you're suffering does not mean that you're outside of the will of God. In fact, suffering might actually mean that you're actually in the will of God. That you're in the will of God. Suffering is one, one, just one, not not all, one of the ways that you actually get to know and identify with our Savior, especially when you're doing the will of the Father. So now that we know that God's will is good for us, we know that God's will is pleasing to God, and we know that actually a huge role of your transformation comes when you are doing the will of God, Here are two things practically that we should be doing as a body of believers when it comes to the will of God. Here's the first one. God's family should pray his will over each other and the world. What should be coming off our lips is that God's will be done. Now, I'm sure y'all heard of the saying, and I'm going to let y'all finish this for me because y'all been real quiet in here right now. A family that prays together does what? All right, some of y'all are like, oh, some cliches, right? <laughs> Family that prays together stays together. Unfortunately, I feel like we live in a time where a lot of families are praying, P-R-E-Y, on each other instead of spending time, P-R-A-Y, praying for each other. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray in the Lord's Prayer, look at what it says in Matthew 6, 9 and 10. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, your good will, your acceptable will, your perfecting will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. Do you pray God's will on earth? Do you pray God's will over God's people and over people that don't even know God? Listen, when I'm, I told you I got four kids, um, I used to spend a lot of time, like when people used to ask me, what do you do? I said, well, I'm, I'm a pastor and I'm an Uber driver. They said, you're an Uber driver? Yeah. I transport children all over, everywhere. I spend so much time in my car. At one, at one point, I had four kids in four different schools at one point. It was just the way it all kind of worked out where one was in a specialty high school, the other one was public high school, and then one was in middle school, and one, one was at the end of elementary school. Lord, have mercy. <laughs> Lord, is this your will for my life? <laughs> right? And I, you know, and, and, and I would spend a lot of time in the cars, but I was like, we, we, we can't waste this time. This is, this is precious time in the car. And often with my children, what we used to do, we would pray. You know, we would definitely, um, we would do some devotional time in the car, but we always made sure we ended that time praying. And on different days of the week, we prayed for different people. 
Okay, we, on Monday, we, had, we, like, we, would, we would pray for teachers. And I often would ask my children, like, do you know if your teachers know the Lord? Do you know if they know? Well, let's pray God's will over their life. Tuesday, tell me about your friends. Who, who are your friends? Yeah, what, do, you know, do you know where they are when it comes to? And we would pray God's will over their life. We would hear what was going on, and we would pray what was good, what was acceptable, and what was perfecting for them in their life. You know, we, we, would, we, would, we would pray. Here's, here's another one. We would pray for um, our leaders so that we would end up covering pastors in our churches. And, um, and then we would, co- we would cover community leaders. We would pray for the president and the vice president and those. And we would, the names that they hear all the time, we would pray for them. And then on Fridays, it was like free falls. And now y'all can pray about whatever you want to pray about on Fridays. But those other days of the week, it's going to be specific. And that's what we would do. Do you model that? When was the last time you prayed the will of God over your boss? Prayed the will of God over your neighbor? Prayed the will of God over your parents? When have you done that? I just encourage you because that's how Jesus taught us to pray. He said, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. An identity marker for the family of God is that we communicate a compassionate desire. To see God's good, acceptable, and perfect will present in our world. I don't want to be the kind of church that complains about issues and symptoms of issues more than we're contextually praying the will of God over people impacted by those issues. Here's the thing. From those prayers births actions. See, from those prayers, I'm praying your will, but your kingdom come on earth. That, that kingdom coming is going to come through our actions. Your will be done on earth has to stay on our lips. It has to stay on our lips, but his kingdom come stays on our hands and our feet. That's why next week, if you come into this building, ain't nobody going to be in here, but it's a couple people doing a project. Because three times out of the year, we go take our worship from the seats to the streets, and we go and serve the city. So I just encourage you, you know, many of you here have done it, and I see a lot of you that have been here um, serving in the city. But we do this not just to do a project. We do this because we want to see God's will done in homeless communities. We want to see God's will done for, for women that are struggling, um, trying to get out of abusive relationships. We want to see God's will done for people in this, on the, in this area, in, in our city, that who, who are not eating and, and don't have food. We do all these different projects for our schools, our schools, there's under-resourced kids at our schools, like right over here, right next door where we park a lot at Snipes. So we pour into these places. We pour into these communities because we want to see God's kingdom here. We're praying his will over their lives individually, and we want to see his kingdom come. Amen? Here's another practical day-to-day component of God's will. God's family. This is, this is beautiful. Constantly trust God's will to sustain them. Is God's will our actual sustenance? Is it what really gives us fuel? Is doing God's will really something that we're joyous about? See, most of the things that we do in life take away 
from energy. Take away from what we do, even if it's good things. Like I told y'all, Uber driving, cooking for kids, and doing all that kind of stuff. I remember one of my friends used to pick on me when I used to come, in, come into my house when he saw me navigating all the kids, and I had some applesauce over here. I had dino nuggets in the, in the, in the, um, in the, in the yeah, y'all know about those dino nuggets. Dino nuggets inside the oven. I you know, put some beans together, some juice boxes, and all this kind of stuff, and I'm doing like 10 things at a time. You know, I'm like, oh, that's great, and I, you know, and I love it, and I'll do it. 10 times over, but does it really give you fuel? Listen to what Jesus said. Listen to what Jesus said. John 4, 31. He says, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat, eat. He hadn't eaten in a while. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Verse 33 is hilarious. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Did you, did you get a chicken sandwich from Chick-fil-A to get it, Jesus? Because I ain't seen nothing. I ain't seen him. I ain't seen him eating. You seen him eat something? No, I ain't seen him eat nothing. What in the world is he talking about? Verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do what? The will of him. The thylema was good, was acceptable, was perfect of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. There's something edifying about doing God's will. God's will should be joyous for his family. Not seen as something that's burdensome, but something that's wholesome and fulfilling. Jesus even believed this in his darkest hour. In his darkest hour. Jesus was up on a mountain and as close as he was to God the Father, he had been doing God's will ever since he was a little boy. But he felt the sins of you and me coming into his system, coming into his body. And he felt the presence of the Lord starting to leave him. Because Jesus actually became sin on Calvary, by the way. Did y'all know that? He became sin for a sinless man became sin for us. And as that began to enter into his system, he began to pray. And he went over to his friends, his closest friends. He said, hey, I'm going through a very hard time right now. Can y'all pray for me right now? Jesus asked for prayer from his friends. Guess what they did? They went to sleep. And Jesus is over here praying in one of his darkest hours, sweating blood. And he says, this. My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Could you imagine the anguish? Could you imagine that? He's taking that on, but then he says this, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Not my will, Lord, but your will. Not my desires, Lord, but your desires, not my desires, Lord, because your, your way is still better than any way I could imagine. Lord, not, not my way, Lord, because, because I know that this is pleasing to you. Even though right now it, it, it's a lot of pain right here, this is pleasing to you. Oh, Lord, yes, you're doing something in me. You, 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 you are doing this to fulfill all righteousness. You're going to make all these people right and put them in right standing with you when I do your will. That was Jesus. That's how Jesus viewed it. See, it wasn't just a to-do list for Jesus. He understood that this was something that was powerful.
Church, listen, there's going to be times in your life where you feel like doing the will of God is not worth it. You feel like doing the will of God is not worth it. You might be tricked in believing that it's taking away more from you than it's actually giving. But Jesus knew that that's a trick of the enemy. He knew that. And I want you to know that too, because God always sustains his family. Can I get an amen? God always sustains his family. Here's one of the most amazing perks of doing God's will. This is very similar to Romans 12. Listen to this. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Listen to this. Do not love the world. Notice how it starts off just like in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Do not love the world or things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And this world, not meaning the world, the people, but the world, the system, the worldly way of thinking was anti-Jesus. For all that is in the world, the desires, there's that word desire, similar to the word will, desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father. That, that is not his plan, but from this world. Verse 17, here's the beauty. And the world woo, is passing away along with its desires. So the, listen, the ways of the world all the stuff that seemed like it's working, all the things that we, that we want to do to try to make, make things work out. Is that, listen, let me tell you something. It's going to pass away. It's going. It's not going to last. It don't work. Everything the devil is trying to do, everything that every indoctrination is out there, everything, all, all those things is passing away. It's passing away. I need you to hear that. It's passing away. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. God's will is eternal. It's eternal. I just want to ask you today, I don't know where you are. I don't know where you are with how you've been following the Lord. I don't know where you are with conforming to the ways of this world or being transformed by the renewing of your mind. But let me just ask you a question. Do you think that that will will sustain you? Do you think that will sustain you? Do you think that will keep you? Do you think that it's going to last forever? Because I'm going to tell you the truth. Whoever you are in here today, I know this. I don't care how far away you are from God. I don't care how dark it is. I don't care what's going on in your life. I need you to understand that God's will is still good for you. God's will is still acceptable. God's will still will perfect you and make you better. He will. God sealed it with a promise. When we look back at the life of Jesus as we close, I'm going to close right here. I need you to understand, even for Jesus, that life wasn't easy on earth, even with his own family. All right? Listen, Jesus had a wonderful mother and a father, Mary and Joseph. But at age 12, Jesus went up to the temple, and he was there, and in Jewish custom, you know, you, you, you hung, you know, your family was a big deal. You can hang out with your family. They had been gone for like three days. Now, some of y'all are like, you left your child somewhere with somebody for three days? You know, it's like a family reunion, okay? Yeah, they left them, but then they were like, now, it's been a little long. So they went back, and they went, and they saw Jesus in the temple, and he said, did you not know I was in my father's house? And they said they didn't understand. 
His parents didn't even understand him walking out the will of God in his life. And I got saved before my parents got saved myself. And I remember that feeling myself when I was trying to walk in the ways of the Lord and my parents didn't quite yet understand what was going on in my life. Y'all know that Jesus went back to his hometown. Usually we're proud of our people from our hometown when they go places and they do amazing things, right? Jesus went away from his hometown and when he came back, he did the least amount of miracles in his own hometown because people, people didn't believe that he was the Messiah. You can look in, in the book of John and you can find out that his own brothers and sisters, the ones that you saw labeled here, they didn't believe that Jesus was the Christ. And some of y'all say, I wouldn't believe it if my big brother told me he was Jesus. All right? <laughs> he struggled, though. I just want you to see that he struggled, you know, even with his, with his family. Even his own disciples. When he began to reveal the will of God in his life, when he said, hey, hey, I'm going to be delivered into the hand of the Romans and I'm going to be crucified. They're going to take me out. Peter rebuked him, said, no, the will of God should be absent of suffering. We'll never let that happen to you. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Because you don't, you don't understand. You have in, your, in the mind the things of man and not the things of God. Do you see Jesus here? You see Jesus struggling to the point that he even had to say, my God, my God, on Calvary, why did you forsake me? He wrestled with the will of God, but he was faithful. And let me tell you what was prophesied as we end on this note. It says this in Isaiah, but he was pierced for our transgressions. The word transgressions means that there are some broken relationships. He was crushed for our iniquities. That means those things that have been weighing down on you, those, that sin in your life that is, that is trying to overcome you. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, and some versions say, by his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep are, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity. What was weighing on us now is weighed on him, the iniquity of us all. Yet, here we go. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was perfect. It was pleasing. And it was good. He put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. But the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He overcame sin and death. Church, I need you to understand this. Jesus' obedience to God's will is why we're able to stand here together today and even call what we call a family a family. And I need you to understand today, what's going to keep us family is also our obedience to God's will. And here's the thing. If Jesus can make us family by us being obedient to God's will, how many more people in this city and in the surrounding areas can come into this family when we're obedient to God's will?